Welcome to Nortonville Baptist Church Podcast. This is Pastor Lee Davis. We are a church that exalts, equips, evangelizes, and encourages. We hope that you are blessed by the message today. Thanks for listening. My home anymore. One day that'll be true for all those that know Jesus. Kids, you guys are dismissed to Children's Church. All of our children can head on back to Children's Church. So there was this uh, preacher, circuit preacher, you know, back when they used to travel around from place to place, and um, he had this horse that he trained. Every time he said, praise the Lord, the, her- the horse would move forward. Every time he'd say, amen, the horse would stop. And, and one Sunday, he was on his little route. He got up that morning, and he was traveling to, he had preached, and he was traveling to his next church to, uh, to preach that evening, and um, and he got on his horse, said, praise the Lord, and off he went. Got to a, got, you know, part of the way there, got a little hungry, said amen, hopped off his horse, had a little lunch. After lunch, he got back on his horse, said, praise the Lord, off he went. Up this little mountain trail over, the, over to the other side to where he was going to be doing his next little service. Well, the, the horse got spooked, and the horse took off running, and it's galloping. And there's, I mean, there's a ledge right here to the left and a mountain to the right, and he gets, he's getting really, really close to the edge. He is getting scared. He, he panics. He forgets the, the, the word that he used to coach it, and finally it comes to him, and he says, Amen, and that horse stops right there at the ledge, and he goes, Ah, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> All right. And you probably wish that was me when I get done with this message, because today's message is not an easy one to hear. As we dive into 1 John chapter 2, we'll be in verses 3 through 6. We're going to start in verse 1, where we uh, preached last week, where the message was last week. But today's message is about how can I have assurance? And that's, that's a big uh, theme over the whole over the whole book of 1 John is how can I have assurance? And the first chapter, um, and even into the second chapter last week, we talked a lot about who is Jesus to you, right? Fully God, fully man. He is the light of the world. He is my propitiation for my sins, my substitute, my sufficiency um, of the wrath of God. He is my, my advocate that, that speaks on my behalf, that stands before, between me and God the Father um, on my behalf. We talked a lot about those the last two or three weeks. And today, as we continue, how can I have assurance? We, 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 like I said, last week we looked at the Christ's atoning work and satisfying God's wrath of sin towards us and places upon His Son, and then the perfect advocacy of His uh, Son on our behalf. But now we look at what proof, what evidence is there in our own life, in our own life. So I'm going to start there in verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, that you may not continue in your sin. And if anyone sins, and we all sin, we have the advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That was last week. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not just our sins only, but also for those of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him, Jesus, 
if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word is um, word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. And Father, I pray that as we strive to live for you, that we come to a realization that we truly do know you. And I pray, amen. That's where we're going to start out this morning in verse 3, that we know that we have come to know him. So the first thing in our life that is proof and evidence that we are one of his children, that we are truly saved, and we are in a fellowship and relationship with the Father, is that we know him. Now, understand this. Knowing God is not enough to save us. It says in the scripture that even the demons know and believe in God and they tremble. And we all know where the devil and his demons will end up, right? They'll be cast into the lake of fire. So the knowledge of who God is, the knowledge of the stories of the Bible, the knowledge of what he has done is not enough to save you or me. Knowledge alone is not enough. And it says there in verse 3, if we, we know that we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Now this word keep is a little bit different than the word keep that we'll see a little bit later on. This word keep in the Greek means to guard a precious treasure. So we are to guard the word of God. We are to guard those commandments. And this thought continues in verse 4, which is the same word. I have come to know him. and uh, One says, I have come to know him and does not guard these precious treasures of his word, of his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. See, how we handle God's word as it pertains to our life, as it pertains to the truth of this world, is a sign of salvation. Meaning that if we take God's word for granted and we just say, hey, look, this is what the world says is true. I'm going to follow this path and I'm going to take God's word. I'm going to distort it. I'm going to turn it into a a huge gray area. I'm going to live the way that I want. And we ignore, we justify God's word to meet our own needs. It is saying that you are not guarding and keeping precious his word in your life. You are not living and abiding by the truth that is in God's word. This is evidence that you are not a believer. This is evidence that you do not know Christ truly at all. Because if you do truly know him, you will guard these truths as if they were something very, very precious to you. Think of something that that is very precious. That you, I mean, if your house was on fire... What would be the one thing that you run into your house to get? The what? The children? I'm so glad someone said that. I was thinking someone was going to say something totally different. Hopefully you go back and get your kids, right? Husbands, get your wife, okay? These things should be precious to you. Maybe you'll go in there and... Uh, maybe at a time, maybe not in today's time, but because now everything's electronic, right? It's all on the cloud. 
But before, you might go in there and try to grab some pictures or some things like that that were valuable. Now, that may not be the case as much. Um, you know, what are those things that you put, what are those things that you guard and you keep as precious? God's word should be that which is precious, that which when all else fails, you, are, you can lean and rely upon it, that when everything else turns on you, you can trust in the word of God, and you guard that, and you don't let anybody distort it. You defend it with everything that you are. When someone says something that's wrong, it's okay. You know, you heard that saying, I agree to disagree. And on many topics, that is the way to go. But when it comes to the Word of God, I don't agree to disagree. I'm right, you're wrong in the story. Because God's Word says so. And I'm not going to get upset with you or angry with you or bitter with you. Or I'm not going to um, be evil towards you. But I'm going to tell you right now, that is not... A, a correct. That is not what God's word says. I have a cousin that his lifestyle is not one that the Bible uh, teaches, and he knows that I loved him. And I, I even told him, "Man, I love you. I care about you. If you need anything, you call me. I'll be there." But the way you're living is not right. And no matter what you say, you cannot change my mind because God's mind cannot be changed. And so we need to know that he, the way that we know that we know him is if we truly are guarding and keeping his commandments, that they are precious to us. Now, saving knowledge leads to faithful obedience. So we're going to see this transition. The more that we know him, the more that we're going to obey him. And you'll see that as we go on. So in verse 3 and 4, we see that if you know uh, that we have come, we know that we have come to know him if we guard his commandments. And if we say that we know him and do not keep his commandments, we're a liar. Our truth is not in us. Moving on to verse 5. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. See, the more that we know him, the more that we love him more that we love him. Now this word love is not, is it talking about the general use of God's word, just God's love in general? Is it talking about God's love for you and me? Or is it talking about our love for God? There's all kinds of different viewpoints and perspectives we can look at what this word love means. And in this context, it means our love for God. As we can obey continually, as we guard the treasure of his word and his commandments in our hearts and our lives, our love for God will grow. The more you know God, the more you are in his word, the more that his truth becomes real to you, the more you understand and learn about his character, about how he is holy, how he is just, how he is forgiving, how he is gracious, how he is wrathful, how he disciplines those that he loves and cares about. As you see all these different characteristics of God play out in your life and manifest themselves to you through his word, the more you know God, the more you're going to fall in love with God. I'm hoping this is true in your marriage. A, a strong, healthy marriage is one where when you got married, you didn't know everything there was to know about your husband or wife, did you? You didn't know that Maybe you didn't know that they snored. Maybe you didn't know that they um, don't put up the laundry in the basket. They put it next to the laundry basket in the floor, right? Maybe you, maybe you realize that they don't clean or they don't do the dishes 
or I'm, I'm, this is all about men, all right? So um, maybe you didn't know that they did all these things. Maybe you didn't know that they worried about these, all these things that they shouldn't be worrying about. Or they, maybe you didn't know they were an excessive spender and spend all their money on these ridiculous things. I mean, you, there's a lot of things about your spouse that you did not know. But there's also things that are positive that you did not know, that you learn. Maybe you didn't realize how compassionate they were, how caring they were. You knew that you loved them and they loved you, but then you see them as they interact with your children, and you see what a great mother or father they are. And you see how uh, when someone's in need, they go out of their way to meet that need. And the more things you learn, both negative and positive, about your spouse, the more you fall in love with them. And this is the way it should be in our relationship with the Lord. The more that we know God intimately, the more we love Him. And the thing about knowing God is, there are no negative things to know. Everything that we know is good. Everything to know is wonderful. Everything we know is a blessing to us. And so you just fall in love more and more. So the way that we know that we are His children is the more that we know Him, the more that we love Him. And the more that we love him, the more you want to obey him. See the progression here? In verse 6 it says, The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner (coughs) as he walks. See, the more you know him, the more you love him, the more you will obey him. And some obey, some will obey because they have to, right? That was what slaves did. They, they, they were afraid of punishment. They were afraid of what their master may do, so they obeyed because they had to. Our children sometimes will obey just to avoid punishment or to receive reward, but they obey because they had to. Then some will obey because they need to. Employees, they obey so they can keep their job so that they can provide for their family. They are doing it for a paycheck. They need to. They need to pay those bills. They need to put food on the table. They need to uh, have gas in the car. So they obey out of a need to. But praise God for those who obey because they want to. Because of our abiding relationship with the Father. The one who says he abides with him. This is the same thing we see in John 15. We talks about the, the vine and the branches. How we abide with him and he abides with us. There's this, this intimate relationship between us and the Father when we are truly one of his. And in this relationship, this intimate relationship, it causes us to know him more. It causes us to love him more. And it causes us to obey him more. We become inseparable. When someone thinks of us, they think of Jesus. And that's what we want. When they look, when you look at a tree, you don't go, man, that's a beautiful branch. You say, that's a beautiful tree. And the tree is made up of all the different branches. And if we abide in him, then when they look at us, they should look at us and go, man, God is great. Let your light shine on a hill. Let your good work shine before men so they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Don't let your good works and your, and your deeds and your obedience glorify me or you. 
I shouldn't do anything for glory of myself. All that I do and all of my obedience should be to glorify the Father who is in heaven because we are abiding together. So the more that I know him and know him intimately, the more that I'm going to love him and the more that I love him, the more that I want to be like him and do what he does. See, God did not save us to take us to heaven, although that will be our ultimate destination, okay? But that he, he saved us if, it, if he saved us to take us to heaven, guess what? He would have already taken us there. But he saved us to con- be conformed to his perfect image, to be a light as he is a light, to be holy as he is holy, to imitate Jesus, um, Ephesians 5, verse 1, to walk, as it says here in verse 6, to walk in the same manner as he walked. We are to be obedient to the point that our life reflects the life of Jesus. Let me read this statement here as we're going to make a transition. If you know God, you will love him. If you love him, you will obey him. One can love the idea of God and yet not know him. Do you get that? One's going to lead to the other, and the other one's going to lead to the final one. But you can love the idea of God but yet not truly know God. And one can obey the rules and traditions and they not love nor know God. So as we talk about knowing Him, loving Him, and obeying Him, and these are signs and evidence and proof. It says you look at the tree and the fruit tells you it's an apple tree and an orange or a grapefruit, grapefruit or whatever it might be. It tells you what, it's evidence of what kind of tree that it is. And the same is true, Jesus says, the same is true. You will know a Christian by their love. You will know a Christian by their fruit. But let me, I want to also explain this. Someone can be obedient to this concept and idea of Christianity, but still not know or love God the Father. Here's how we know this. is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. This is a very powerful verse. He's talking to believers when he's talking to the ones in 1 John, okay? That's who he's talking to. He is saying, you are believers. I'm just giving you some assurance that you are. By examining your life, you will know and have confidence. and You can be able to speak in boldness and be, and be, the, be the ambassador that I've called you to be. But here in Matthew 7, he, it's a different tone. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, it says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many uh, miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem is it says, you will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their love. And if you truly know me, you will do the will of my Father. And then they go, the, the next verse, there in verse 22, is they, uh, they begin to start, they begin, it's, a, it's the beginning of a list of all the things that they had done that they, were, they thought were the will of the Father. And they thought was, was obedience. And I'm, I'm, I'm really, really scared that many people are going to get to heaven well, not get to heaven, but get to the judgment seat. 
there, and they're going to stand before God, and they're going to think everything's okay, and they're going to give God their wonderful resume of all the things that they have done. And they're really going to be a cultural Christian and not a genuine follower of Christ. Because here's what the world says. The world says common core, right? The answer doesn't have to be right. The answer can be close. They hand out participation trophies for everyone. You are the worst team. You haven't scored a goal all year. But here, here's a trophy for you to show us for all the hard work that you did. You get stars and things for good efforts. We even think of it, think of this way. We even think that the Diet Coke at the movie theater will cancel out the calories of our large popcorn with extra butter. Right? That's the culture we live in. That that's good enough. Here's what cultural Christianity looks like. This is what Matthew 7 looks like today. They drop their kids off at VBS. And they do that not only at one church, but several. They believe in prayer in schools. They say Merry Christmas. They have their nativity out. They listen to Linus recite the Christmas story every single year. They don't cuss in front of the pastor. They don't drink in front of the pastor. They know Bible stories. They can quote verses. They know the Lord's Prayer. They know the words to Amazing Grace. They have said the sinner's prayer. They've been baptized in the baptismal waters. They claim a church Yet they only attend every once in a while. And when they do, they make sure they get a family photo on Facebook with all their church clothes on, right? Church is good. That teaches morality. They leave there and that makes them feel good about themselves. They hang hope, faith, believe, love. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord all over their walls of their home. The Easter and Mother's Day, man, those are great holidays. They're, make sure they're always in church. They're always dressed nice. Are they celebrating the resurrection of Jesus? No, they're celebrating their new outfit they bought with all those wonderful pastel colors. Unless you are caught in the acts of adultery or stealing from work, there really is truly no remorse because you've done nothing wrong. You want more and more and of Jesus, but only enough to call yourself a Christian and not enough to inconvenience your life. And that is the culture we live in. And you're thinking, man, that sounds pretty awful. I'm saying, yeah, it does. And these people have false assurance. Have false assurance. Because here's, here's the reality. Is we need to be saved from our sin, absolutely. But we also need to be saved from our good works. Because see, the, going back, we... We obey Him because we love and know Him. But some people have skipped the knowing Him and loving Him part and went straight to, I'm just going to follow this list of rules and I'll be okay. And I think our churches are to blame for that, partly. Because I do, I encourage you guys a lot to be in church because that's part of, because if you know Him and love Him, you're going to want to be a part of His family. If you know him and love him, you'll want to be in the church. You'll want to go on missions. You're wanna, you, you will want to go and, and, uh, and serve overseas or in Memphis or here at the net. You'll want to serve in ministries in the church. You'll want to give uh, your money because you know it's not yours, it's his. You'll want to do all this, those things if you know and you love him. You will want to obey. 
But here's what, God doesn't need more church attendance. God wants your repentance. God doesn't need you to go on another mission trip to pad your resume. He wants your repentance. He doesn't want you to put an extra 20 in the offering plate. He wants your heart. He wants your repentance. He wants you to know him. He wants you to love him so you'll want to obey him. That's what he wants. But we have this cultural Christianity that says we are good people. And even the world looks at Christianity and it says they're good people. I was over in Thailand and they, I was talking to one of the Buddhist monks there at the temple. And he said, Christianity is a good moral religion. He says, you're, 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 you're okay. You're a good person because you're a Christian. And Christians are good people because Jesus was a good person. He goes, so you'll, when you die, you will, and if, you're, if you're a good Christian, you'll come back as a Buddhist. Right? point being is, I told him, I said, so what you're saying is, is if you're wrong, you're in trouble. But if I'm wrong, I'll just have a second chance, right? Because if, when you die, it's, and I'm right, it's over with. But if I die and you're right, then I can come back again as a Buddhist and I'll be good because I was a good person in this life. And he's kind of like something about oh, well, nature or something. I forgot what he said. He didn't have an answer for that. But that's the, that's the culture we live in. We are a good people. We're good Americans. We say the pledge, don't we? We vote, our, we vote our conservative beliefs, don't we? We do all these things, and we say, I'm a good person. We, every time I have a conversation with someone as a cultural Christian, this is, I get this answer quite a bit. Man, I really, I know I need to be in church more. I hate that answer. If you know you need to be in church more, then you just go. And I know that there are circumstances that, that come in, and not everybody who makes that statement is an unbeliever. I understand all that, okay? I'm not speaking in absolutes. But I will say this, the majority of people who think that they are okay, have false assurance. They are living a life of obedience, but they're going to get before the Lord. Go to verse 22. They get before the Lord, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy? Did I not go to church? Did I not take my kids to VBS? Did I not say that prayer? Did I not get baptized? Did I not give money? Did I not go on missions? Did I not attend church fairly regularly? Did I not do all these things? Wasn't I there every Easter? And he's going to say, yeah, you did all those things. You're absolutely right. But you would have known that you knew me if my word was really kept and treasured in your heart. Because the more my word's in your heart and the more you know me, the more you would have loved me. And the more that you loved me, the more you would have known that my heart's desire was not for you to be all these things, but for you to be one of my children and be obedient to, my, to the Father. Not because you think you're going to have some kind of a reward, but because you knew you already received my grace. But you didn't see that, did you? I don't know you. 
as we get ready for the invitation. Do you truly know him this morning? Who is Jesus to you? The question we've been asking for the last couple of weeks. It all comes down to, do you truly know him? If he truly is fully God, man, you're going to want to serve him that is truly God, who was also fully man, who died as the propitiation for your sins, that you do not have to bear the wrath of God anymore, the one who provides complete joy, the one who can restore uh, fellowship, the one that will be the light that shines into your life, that exposes all the darkness and causes the sins to, to be washed away, that, says the, that cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness. The ones who will stand before us and the Father. If we truly know all those things, how can you come in, sit in a service, hear the things about Jesus, say that you believe, and leave the same that you, when you came in? You will leave different. You will leave knowing Him more, therefore loving Him more, and looking for ways you can obey Him. But we're not doing that. Maybe you, maybe you truly do know him. But you've gotten, out of the, you've gotten out of that time where you've been in the word. You're not in the word like you, like, like you need to be. The more you're in the word, the more you'll know him and the more you'll love him. But you've got to be in the word. You've got to have those times when you sit down in the morning and you just open the Word of God. And don't read a five-minute devotion. These are great, right? These little prayer journals are great for your who's your one that we have going on. But this little page here is not enough to say, I was in God's Word today. That doesn't cut it. We are to meditate on His Word all day. Night and day, it says. And the more that we do that, the more we know Him then we'll see how gracious He is and how loving and kind He is, how forgiving He is, how He's a God of second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth chances, on and on and on. How His discipline is an act of love. How He's just and, and, and punishes sin. And we'll rejoice and love Him for that. And then when we be begin to pursue obedience, to be more like Him, to live more like Him, to look more like Him, to speak and act more like Him. It'll be because we have a genuine relationship with Him, not some act of self-redemption that will never work. Do you have assurance this morning as we sing?